made to be like God, but that image got damaged. So God sent Jesus to help us recapture that image and to live the way he originally intended us to live. And that's why we're, hopefully, I'm hoping some of you are reading the Gospels during this series so we can be more like him. And today is the third purpose, and I'm going to start with 1 John 3, 1, where it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. So God apparently has made a family, and we are the children. In fact, the entire Bible is the story of God building a family who will honor and love Him and reign with Him forever and ever. Ephesians 1 says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Now, we're adopted. Now, every adoption I'm aware of, you're adopted into what? A a family. And we are adopted into His children. God describes Himself in familiar terms. He's the Father, Jesus is the Son, and of course, we are the adopted children. Now, here's a big thing here. Every human being was created by God, but not every human being is an adopted child of God. The only way to get into God's family is by being born again through spiritual birth. Galatians 3.26 says, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So first, you're created for God. Second, created to be like Jesus. And third, you're created to be for God's family. You were adopted into that family. In other words, you were created to belong. Now, this next statement, I didn't know whether even you use this or not, and you can argue with me because it's pretty strong, and I can see why you would disagree. In fact, I'm going to predict most every one of you here today will disagree with this next statement, but hear me out. It comes from Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He says, your spiritual family is more important than your biological family. All in favor? No, we won't. I mean, some of you say, well, how could you say that? In fact... Mark Weber, are you going to tell me that we in the church are more, you love our church more than you love your own son and daughter and your own grandkids? And I'm going to say, well, in one sense, your, your biological family is more important. That's just natural. It's the nature of human beings, and we're naturally closer to them. But here's the thing about your spiritual family that in one sense does make it more important. Your spiritual family will last forever. Our families on earth, our biological families are wonderful gifts from God, but they are temporary and fragile, often broken by divorce, distance, aging, or death. Your spiritual family is permanent and eternal. It won't be broken. So my biological family is very important, but it's more important to be part of God's family because that's eternal. And hopefully my biological family will be a part of my eternal family. The greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We hear that a lot around here. And the second greatest commandment is love your neighbors yourself. We hear that a lot around here. These first two commandments have a common word, love. We were created to be lovers, and God wants us to love Him and to love others, but He is especially concerned that we love others in the family. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, especially God's family. John 13, Jesus said, as I have loved you, you must love one another, speaking to the church. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our greatest witness to this world is not our doctrine or our beliefs or our worship, but our love for each other. 1 John 4 to the church says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, this is pretty strong stuff, does not love God or know God because God is love. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. One another. He's talking to the church. And John's pretty blunt here. If you don't love one another, you really don't love God. You claim to love God and then ignore your brothers and sisters and hold grudges and won't forgive. You really have a problem with God. So while your relationship to Christ is personal, God never intends it to be private. And the growing trend today is to have this private faith, you know, this individualistic America we live in, and I love Jesus, I love the Bible, I read the Bible, I love God, and I'm kind to others, but I don't really need God's family. I don't need the church. But the Bible says we were created for God's family. We are commanded to love one another, and none of us can fulfill God's purposes outside of God's family. The Bible says we're put together, talking about believers, joined together, we're built together, we're members together, we're heirs together, we're fitted together, we're held together, and we will be caught up together, and we are created to honor God together. Now, we've been in Romans 12 uh, the last couple of weeks, been kind of the foundational text, and it's going to be the same this week. Verse 1 is the first purpose. I want you to read this with me, if you would. This is the first purpose we talked about two weeks ago. Let's read. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, Worship God, first purpose, a living sacrifice offered to Him. Then the next verse, verse 2, tells us how to fulfill our second purpose to be like Jesus. Would you read this? Do not conform. Be transformed, i.e. become more like Jesus so that God's will can be done in your your life. And then the next verse, and I'll read this, is our third purpose. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many... Form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We are members of one body, talking about the body of Christ, the church, and the word membership has been damaged. Uh, To us, we think of membership of a club, or a store offers discounts to its members, and in, in church membership, we think of being added to a role. To Paul, each member belongs to the others. I don't belong to the other members of Sam's Club. Don't even know them. To Paul, membership means connection. Like members of your physical body are connected, and that's the analogy he uses here. I have an arm, I have a leg, I have a pancreas, I have a kidney, I have a head, and they're all connected, and they are all necessary. Now, what I'm going to say next is so simple and so elementary, I should not have to say it, but a lot of people don't get this. And that is that you cannot be connected to the body of Christ if you are not present. Cannot. You cannot love the family of God if you're not connected to the family of God. This is why the first symptom of spiritual decline is usually inconsistent uh, attendance at worship and other gatherings of believers. When we become careless about fellowship, other aspects spiritually decline as well. We need each other. And I want to say we need each other desperately. So far, we've talked about three purposes. And of the three, this one may be the most essential to keep the the other purposes active and alive in us. 
I have seen people commit to God. And I've seen them do the second one, try to be like Jesus. But they haven't done the third one, connect to other believers in a meaningful way. The first two usually don't work. The other purposes tend to die or, 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 or else the person fabricates their own kind of self-made religion, which really doesn't even look like Christianity. I don't know if I can stress this hard enough. You need to connect. You need relationship with other believers in the family of God. I have seen it, and I've seen the power that's in that. Jesus said, I will build my church. So that means the church is his idea, his creation. And Jesus is a lot smarter than you and me. The smartest man in history created the church, and we were created to be part of it. And the person who says, I don't need the church, is claiming to be smarter than Jesus. The family is so significant, the church family, that Jesus died on the cross for. Ephesians 5, he said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The church is his bride, it's his love, it's his creation, it's the one he cherishes, and he created us to be a part of it. First Peter 2 says, love the family of believers. So because of all this teaching by Jesus, the early disciples went out doing two things. They preached Jesus and established churches. And it's pretty clear, we need Jesus and we need Jesus' bride, God's family. Why? Why church? Why did Jesus create the church? Why did he make it? And why did he create us to be part of the family? Surely there's some good reasons. I'm just going to give you a few here. First of all, it identifies you as a genuine follower of Jesus. I cannot claim to be a worshiper of God and a follower of Christ if I'm not committed to his family. I guess you could make that claim, but it is not in line with what God has clearly revealed. The first two purposes cannot be fulfilled without the third. In John 13, Jesus said to his disciples, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are the disciples if you love one another. This is how we witness to this world, by how we love one another. And love is more than gooey feelings, by the way. It's more than sentiment. It means forgiving. It means forbearing. It means serving. It means doing the hard parts of love. It means helping each other. And we cannot do these if we are not connected to one another. In Mount Pulaski today, I would contend there are five witnesses for Jesus Christ, the five churches. You remove the churches from Mount Pulaski, there is no more witness. Now, some would argue, well, I can witness on my own. No, you can't. Remove the churches and the body of Christ is gone. Now, by church, I don't mean buildings, okay? We can tear down buildings and still have a church. The church is the body of believers who are connected together as a witness to the Christ. So we can have churches without buildings, but if you remove the body of believers from Mount Pulaski, there is no more witness. Here's the second thing. The church moves you out of self-centered isolation. The church, by definition, is relational. And if you get connected, it will force you out of, uh, from out of isolation, force you from, un- it'll unisolate yourself. Unisolate, is that a word? Anyway, let me tell you my personal experience. The church, through all the years, has been one of the most delightful, joyful, wonderful experiences of my life. It has helped me grow. It has been a wonderful place for my kids and grandkids. I'm not sure if my kids and grandkids would be Christian today if it weren't for the church. It's had a powerful influence on them. So I owe the church. For over 60 years, the church has been my family. And I've seen this with other families and kids and adults alike. When there is that real connection, lives are changed. However, the church has also been one of the most challenging, hurtful, difficult annoying, frustrating experiences of my life. 
I have found church people to be incredibly insensitive at times. Do you want to know how many times I've wanted to slug someone in church? (laughs) Never. Good grief, I'm not that bad. But anyway, I have been frustrated and so have you. The church has been a joy and the church has been a challenge. And I have needed both. I've needed the good side and the encouragement, but I've also needed the hard part of being in a church. See, some people want all the encouragement, and then when the challenge comes along, they quit. Well, I didn't sign up for this. Can you quit a family? You moms, we're going to celebrate Mother's Day in a couple weeks. You ever quit being a mom? Do you quit your biological family when there's been a disagreement? I saw on Facebook someone posted, I may not go to church, but I pray every day. And I would say, so does a Buddhist. If you don't have community, you live a self-centered, self-oriented, self-made religion, and it is not Christianity. It is not following Jesus. You cannot claim to love God and then ignore God's family. There used to be an old saying going around, and there's a lot of truth to it. It said, sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. So there, that proves it doesn't make any difference if you're in a church or not. I get it. There is some truth in that. You can sit in church and not be a Christian. I get that. But it is not the whole truth. Tish Harrison Warren, in an article, The Church is Your Mom, said, Due to our history of anti-institutionalism and individualism, some evangelicals view church attendance as merely an add-on to the Christian life, one of many elective ways to grow in a personal relationship with God. But for most of Christian history, a relationship with God was inseparable from a relationship with the church. Most believers over the last two millennia, Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox alike, would deem spiritual life without the church as incomprehensible and impossible as biological life without a mother. Had a lady once tell me, I know we don't come on Sundays, but we love this church. I wonder what your definition of love is. What if I said to Ellen, Ellen, I don't want to spend any time with you, but I love you. I love you, but I don't really want to be around you. How's that work? You cannot love in isolation. Here's the third thing. It helps you develop the first two purposes. We will never grow up and worship God and be like Jesus if we're not connected to God's family. We can't. Now, connection means more than just attending and being a passive spectator. I'm talking about connection and participation in the life of the local church. That's what builds spiritual strength. And here's where the modern church really has a problem. And this is my concern for Mount Pulaski Christian Church. My concern is not getting people to come to worship. My big concern is getting people connected to one another. Because I know when that happens, that's when things start to happen. Over 50 times in the New Testament do you find the phrase, one another, love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, greet one another, serve one another, teach, accept, honor one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, submit, be devoted to one another, and you can't do these one another's without some connection with one another. I would agree it's easier to think you're holy when no one else is around you to frustrate you. It's easier to be a Christian or to think you're a Christian without connection to imperfect and flawed humans, okay? But spirituality without connection to God's family is a false spirituality. In fact, I would say it's it's self-deceit. I can think I'm a pretty patient guy until I connect with someone in the church to test my patience. And then I find out really how patient I really am or really am not. So it's easier to think you're spiritual when you stay isolated. The real test is in real relationships. The church is not perfect. 
And that's why it's perfect for teaching us how to forgive and forbear and persevere and for shaping us and forming us and growing us. God uses that imperfection. Number four, body of Christ needs you. If you read on in Romans 12, it says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We all have gifts and abilities that contribute to the health of God's family. Everyone here has something to offer to the body of Christ. Now, I think there's even more beautiful description over in 1 Corinthians 12. This is one of my favorite passages. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. You may be a leg in the body of Christ, but you decide not to do your part. So we have a crippled body or a one-legged body, and the church limps. Church needs you. Maybe you're an eye or an ear. You're needed to make a healthy, complete body. That's why you were created, to fulfill God's mission to this world, through his family. Which leads to number five, you will share in the mission of Christ. When Jesus walked on earth, God worked through the physical body of Jesus, and now he works through Jesus' body, the church, his family. We are his hands and feet. And by myself, I cannot do much. But together, we can. I cannot send a missionary to the Ukraine, but a church can. I cannot do Big Wednesday, but a church can. I cannot do Sunday school or VBS, but a church can. I cannot really be much of a witness to this community, but this church can. You want to change the world? Get involved in God's family. Don't just attend. Get involved. Connect. Do ministry. Get real with relationships. And if you do get involved, I'll just warn you again, it will not always be easy. There will be challenges. There will be good stuff, and there will be bad stuff. And there will be times you'll say, this is a church. These people don't act very Christian. And that's why church hopping is so popular. When things get tough in a church, when someone offends me, I'll go to another church. And rather than doing the hard work of forgiving and changing myself, I'll change churches. So you need an imperfect church, the challenge of an imperfect church. You need to be offended once in a while. It'll help you grow. You need to learn how to put up up with annoying people. And frankly, sometimes you're the annoying person. We need to learn how to forgive and forbear and persevere. And we need to learn how to encourage others and build them up and give. It's kind of like dating and marriage. When you're first dating, you don't really grow much in your depth of love because everything's new and shiny and exciting and the hormones are raging and you've got all this surface niceness going on. It is only after you've been married and living together for, for several years that you start to grow in love and love this real spouse that you're really married to. And then after about 20 years, the love is usually much deeper. The infatuation at first makes you feel good. That's the real buzz. But the buzz wears off. And then the question is, will you really love this person? 30 years later, 
Love is usually not so much buzz, but it's better. Church hoppers are holding on to the buzz. They want a feeling more than they want God. Well, the buzz is gone. The spirit's gone. Got to go find the spirit. Got to find the buzz. Now, sometimes changing churches does make sense. You know, for the kids' sake, sometimes doctrinal heresy, or maybe the church is dysfunctionally sick and is making you sick. In fact, preachers change churches at times, sometimes, so it must be okay. (laughs) But sometimes it is a time to leave. Most of the time, you need to stay and stick through the hard times like marriage. There's times people have come to this church, and I've sent them back to their old church. To, to finish some, some things that need to be finished. We had someone come here once, been to four different churches in eight years. And I thought in my mind, well, let's see what happens in two years. They were gone. The buzz wore off. Folks, if you're new, I want to announce right now, we have some amazing people in this church that are gracious and giving and generous and caring and hardworking volunteering, they give it themselves, they have good hearts, they would give the shirt off their back. But we also have some sinners in this church, and they're very often the same people. And some of them are really good, really good at it. We have lazy people, we have whiners, and we have takers, and we have tightwads, and we have grouches, and we have some really odd people. And we have this preacher with really bad... Ask the person next to you and let them fill in the blank. And the way to grow is just to grow with the good and through the bad. The church is so not perfect. There are times I go home on Sunday and want to scream. This next joke is really deep. I'm not sure if first service got it. I hope you can get it. Two ministers met in the afterlife. One said, isn't heaven wonderful after being in the church all those years? The other said, this isn't heaven. (laughs) See? Deep. That's a little extreme. But the love gets deeper when you work through the hard times and stick with it. And if you quit every time the buzz stops, you'll never mature. In marriage, study was done. Marriages that were in big trouble and on the rocks. But they stuck through it and they hung in there and persevered. Five years later, they went back and interviewed these couples. The vast majority were healthier, they were better, and most of them were glad they stayed. And for some of you, it's easy to jump in and get involved and you're joiners and that's great. For some of you, you're more hesitant and maybe been burned in the past. And I I don't think we want to push or rush anyone, but we just need this reminder. You need connection. You need God's family. It's not an option. I found this thing called weird things said to pastors. None of these have been said to me, but these have been said to ministers. We need a small group of cat lovers. Use meow mix as a snack then. You need to change your voice. All right. Your socks are distracting. I'll stop wearing socks. We need to start attracting more normal people at our church. So that means you're leaving, right? (laughs) This one I can't believe. I developed cancer because you don't preach from the King James Version. Serious. Your wife never compliments me about my hair or dress. There could be a reason for that. (laughs) Why don't you ever preach on Tim Tebow? 
we're leaving the church because you have a red cross on the building, and that's the color of the devil. Your sermon needed more calories. Oh, what we could do with that one, but we won't. Bill Hybels is a preacher in the Chicago area, a huge church of 25,000 or so, and he tells about a defining moment he had in an airport. He was drinking a cup of coffee and reading a copy of USA Today when two young boys, they looked like brothers, started to squabble. The older boy was around seven or eight, and the younger one was around five, and Bill watched them a few seconds over the top of his paper, kind of irritated that they were disturbing him and everyone else, but he said, you know, boys will be boys. And then he heard it. Whack. The older boy slapped his younger brother hard right across the face. The smaller boy was crying, and you could see this nasty welt rising on his cheek. And Bill looked around for a parent or two, anybody who's responsible for these kids. And then the entire gate was silenced by the sound that none of them would forget for a very long time. It was the sound of a closed fist smashing into that five-year-old face. His older brother punched him good and knocked him off his feet. And that was more than Bill could take. He blurted out, where are these kids' parents? No response. And then the older boy grabbed the little guy by the hair and started pounding his face into the tile floor. Bam, bam, bam. Bill couldn't believe it. And he started running over to the boys, and then he heard the final boarding call for his flight, but he was so sickened by what he had seen he couldn't abandon these boys, so he grabbed the older boy by the arm, pulled him off the younger one, and he held, held the, the two as far apart as he could, and with one arm extending out to a boy with a bleeding face and the other with murder in his, in his eyes, he knew he was holding a human tragedy in his hands. Someone from the airline came and said, Are you Bill Hybels? The plane is waiting for you. It's leaving now, and you've got to board immediately. He said, I can't leave these boys unless you promise to take care of this. They said they would. He got onto the plane found a seat, but was so shaken by what had happened, he could not get the sights and sounds of the violence he'd witnessed between those two boys out of his head. He grabbed a magazine, he tried to read, but he couldn't concentrate. He looked in the entertainment magazine to see what movie was going to be shown, hoping it would be something that could distract his thinking. But he just sensed the Holy Spirit telling him, don't purge this from your mind so quickly. And he sensed God saying, Bill, I want you to think about the future of that eight-year-old kid. Is he going to be a model citizen or is he going to be using knives in high school and end up in jail and maybe going to hell someday? And a voice from his head asked Bill Hybels, what would change that eight-year-old kid's trajectory? If we elect some really great government officials who will pass new legislation, would that help a kid like this? Writing legislation is an important job, but new laws cannot change a human heart. It can't bring about reconciliation or forgiveness. And Bill began to scroll through every option he could think of. Business. Could business solve this? How about the university? Education. Would education change the boy? How about self-help programs? How about psychology? And all those were good, but can any of it really transform the human heart. So on an airplane headed to Chicago, the realization for Bill Hybels was that the only thing that would change that kid's life is some fired-up Christ follower from some fired-up church sharing Christ's love with him. And somewhere in a window seat between San Juan and Chicago, Bill Hybels said, I came to the realization that the local church was the only thing that would change that kid's heart. 
And that means that the local church is the hope of the world. I love St. Jude's and what they do for kids. It's an amazing ministry. St. Jude's sounds like a church is behind it. St. Jude's gives life. But I love the church more because the church can do so much more. Eternal life for one thing and heal hearts and minds and souls. The church has that power. And yes, if you commit to a church, there will be disappointments and you will be let down. But there's so much good and so much joy and you will be lifted up. A lot of it depends on you. I love Sunday mornings. I love seeing you. From what I can tell, you love seeing each other. I love seeing our teachers do their thing. But it's really only if it's deeper than just the Sunday morning smiles. So I give you some assignments there. You know, read more in the life of Jesus and how are you doing on your purpose statement. I know some of your writing you've been telling me. I'd like to encourage all of you to do what is my purpose. And you can expand. What's the purpose for my family? What's the purpose of my parenting at work? You know, you know be specific on some things. And the last one, what one step can you take today to connect with another believer or group of believers at a more genuine heart-to-heart level? What is one step you could take? Let's pray. Father, uh, we would all agree on the first two purposes, to worship you and to be like Jesus. This third one, uh, for some, seems to be more optional and Lord, I just pray that you'll open our eyes to see how badly we need the family. You created a family and gave us the family. And I pray, Lord, that this will be a healthy family. And that we'll be the kind of family that would encourage and build up and, and strengthen. The kind of family where you are the head. And we are following your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. continue in our worship this morning we're going to sing a new song and um, as mark has just talked about what this means to be